John the Baptist is baptizing in the Sea of Galilee. And let's write on down to verse 11. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now I will not turn to it, but if you were to go to Mark chapter 1, Luke chapter 3, you'll find similar renderings what John is saying. But let's go to John's gospel then. John chapter 1. So if you're trying to remember, if you haven't got a pen with you, remember Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, 3, 1, 3, 1. That's the chapters you'll find them in. Okay, so go to John chapter 1. This reading will be slightly longer. And that's where I run down to verse 22. This is John the Baptist. Then said they unto him, Who art thou, that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. As said the prophet Isaiah, or Isaiah, and they which were sent were of the Pharisees. And they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou not be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet? And John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom you know not. Let me just pause there. Isn't that not amazing that Christ is in the midst of them and they couldn't even recognize them? Christ is in the midst and they could not recognize him. And Christ is in the midst by his spirit and there's many cannot even recognize it. They say it doesn't happen, he doesn't, he comes as it were, but it's like a mystical effect. Let's go on a little further. He it is, verse 27, he it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latch yet I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day John saith Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God has taken away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said after me, Cometh a man which is preferred before me. For he was before me, and I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Wherefore I am come baptizing with water. And John by record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Notice, upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. So in the four Gospels, 3-1-3-1, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in those chapters, you'll read that Jesus baptizes with the Holy Ghost or with the Holy Spirit. So when we say the four square gospel is Jesus is saviour, we agree. Salvation by grace through faith. Jesus is healer. All healing that happens comes from Christ, not from a man's hands. There's no healer, but Christ may operate through men and women, people, but he is the healer. He is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit, as we have read here, and we're going to look further into and he is also the soon coming king. It's he who we wait for 
and his return. That's the four square gospel and everything is based around the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so if you go with me to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. We are going to be taking this slowly. We want you to try and make sure you take it in. I'm not going to give too much as we go along. It might be a few weeks. It might be a lot of weeks. I don't know. But we're going to go a step at a time. We're going to break it down for you as we go along. John chapter 20. And let your eye run down to verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then Jesus, then said Jesus unto them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Now notice verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Here Christ, as God in flesh, now deity breathed through the lips of ascended or pardon me, resurrected humanity, onto his disciples and says, you receive, you need a gift. And here it is, it's the Holy Ghost. Now, if you'll go to the book of Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, the Lord Jesus is on the Mount of Olives at Jerusalem. He's about to ascend to his Father. Disciples are round about. And just for time's sake, if you'll let your eye run down to verse 4. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. John, For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Notice Jesus now referring to what we had read in the Gospels. John baptizes with water. He baptizes the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit. Then he says in verse 8, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. We know then that the Lord is taken up out of their sight. And the angels or the, uh, the angelic beings said to them that Christ would so return in a like manner. Now, if you let your eye run down to verse 16, Peter says, Men and brethren, the scripture must needs be fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake concerning Judas. Here we have then an Old Testament type of the Spirit speaking. We know that all the word of God is God-breathed. It's God-inspired. But here's a, a type of it where he's saying the Holy Ghost comes upon David and David speaks what the Holy Ghost gave him. And he talks about... Uh, David then, so David, Holy Ghost is the influence and David was the instrument. And that pattern comes into the church in a greater fashion then. So, okay, here's where we're going to start with. I want to call this the objection section. The objection section, okay? Because I'm going to look this morning just basically on objections to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
objections. Many objections. Now, before we start, I'm not here to cause argument. I'm not here to offend. I'm not here to cause row. Um, I'm not here to do any of that. I'm here to show you the scripture. And listen, we cannot make the scripture fit our experience. There's people say, oh, well, I had an experience. If it's not in scripture, your experience is invalid. It's as simple as that. It's invalid. There's nowhere in scripture, and I'm saying this because there's charismatics who raise up like snakes up the floor and all this sort of stuff. And I want to tell you, that's not in scripture. The only thing I hear of writhing on its belly is the serpent himself. So I, I am not in my fat bond, so please don't put me there. Please don't put me there. I am not in with a bunch who lies on a grave thinking to suck the, the, the anointing out of the bones of dead saints. Please don't put me there. I, I know there's a, a, a type when Alicia's bones, a man rolled into the grave and he came to life again when he touched Alicia's bones. That was one time it was a special event for a special purpose. So it's not that we're to lie on the graves of dead men or women looking for the anointing to come into us. Our anointing isn't from men and women. The anointing is from the Lord. From the Lord. He is the baptizer in the spirit. He is the anointing spirit. So we're going to look at the objection section. Our experience cannot determine the word, but rather the word must determine every experience. And please remember that. So objection, let me just think of some things that I've jotted down that people would object that maybe you've come across. I realize there are people of a, a mixed idea here, mixed upbringing, mixed thought, mixed church life, and that's fine. But I want to let you know, I came from a nominal Presbyterian home. When I say nominal, it really means I was unsaved, went to the BB, thrown out to Sunday school to get out of my mum and dad's hair and to give them a bit of peace. And my, our family name was on the church roll in the church. My mum went... Quite a lot, but you know, from time to time, but my dad never went, and we had no saved in the family. I was the first one that was saved. So when I say I'm a nominal Presbyterian, what I'm saying is this. I wasn't saved, knew nothing of God when I got saved, knew nothing of the Spirit. And when I first seen the spiritual gifts in operation, I thought, what on earth's going on? I remember a man speaking in tongues in a, one of my first prayer meetings, and I thought he was from some other country at the start. Is he from some Far, far-reaching corner of, of Spain or wherever it was, and well, what is this man? And then I remember when the pastor McConnell got up to give an interpretation. I thought it's a funny sort of prayer. I knew nothing about prayer. Hardly prayed in my life except for lying in bed at night wondering whether the terrorists were going to come in and shoot my dad or not because he was working. He was a mechanic for the ER. Every night I would have said, "Lord, our God, just keep protect my dad." And that was the biggest prayer I ever prayed. I think night after night. I knew nothing about even prayer, really. I didn't know how to pray or what to pray. I didn't even know who to pray to and what name to pray in. I knew nothing about it. So when I came, I came like many. And then I grew and developed into it. And I seen Pastor McConnell give the interpretation. I thought, is he praying? But he seems like he's talking to us. Or is he talking to God? What is he doing? So when people say they get a little confused and strange, I don't blame you. It's natural because it's a supernatural thing. Does that make sense? We can't understand all the supernatural when we're in a natural or carnal mind even. So the objection section, here's one of the things that I have, uh, one of the objections I jotted down, I'm going to answer. 
this is not uh, it's not complete where we're going to do everything today. We're going to go slowly over the weeks. So stay and bear with me. Objection. People might say, we received it all at salvation. Whatever we had, everything, we received it all at salvation. Now, when you get saved, you received all your whole salvation and redemption. That's without dispute. But of the Spirit... Pentecostals call it the second blessing, uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Whatever term we put on it, did we receive it all and we don't have it or there's no such thing? Okay, we, if, if we received it all, here's a question must be answered. We read from John 20 and verse 22, Jesus breathes on his disciples. And he says unto them, receive ye the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. And then in Acts chapter 1, he tells them, tarry ye in Jerusalem, wait for the promise of the Father, which is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So if they have received it all, and Jesus breathes on them, what about the baptism in Jerusalem at his ascension? Jesus has ascended, the Holy Spirit has been sent. And so he's saying you need a further, or if you want, the second blessing. You need this gift. And so we read about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So if we received it all, they didn't receive it all. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. It's the chapter on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the early church. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1 says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, Pente means 50. It's 50 days uh, after Passover when Christ was crucified. Christ's Passover matches the Passover in Israel and the Jews' Passover. And then 50 days later, we have Pentecost. So we're, we're looking at this where it would be Pentecost would actually have reminded them of come, the Lord coming down on Sinai. And so here's the Lord coming down in the Spirit. Only he's not coming down in the law. He comes down giving grace. And so we have the day of Pentecost was fully come. They were all with one accord in one place. There's a wee thing for you. If you want to know more of the Spirit, if you want to have more of the Spirit, we need to be together in unity. In unity. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. Jesus would baptize with the Holy Ghost and fire, says the Scriptures. And fire. Like as of fire. Here's the Pentecostal flame, as we call it. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and in Pontus and Asia, and Phrygia, and Pamphylia in Egypt, and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed were, and were in doubt, 
saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. So those who had come out of the 120 had come out of the upper room. It's noised abroad. Look, something's gone off down here in this place in Jerusalem. All the Jews come around from all over. And as they're gathered together, they see the people. And the people look as if they're drunk. They're drunk. These people are ecstatic. These people are speaking in tongues. Now, it is said that they're speaking in foreign languages. Does that mean every one of them spoke? I know the languages were different then, but you would have had Aramaic and Hebrew and you, you would have had Greek and, and, and uh, maybe even Latin where the Romans would have been coming in. And you had all these languages, but that's to say, were they speaking like a, 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 all these different dialects that were in all the languages too? So they could hear them from every country. Was somebody speaking here the Arabic language and another one speaking the, and, and Hebrew for the Judeans? And what, what, what does that mean? Does people, many people think, so they were just learning that they would go and speak a language and they would learn a different language as they went evangelizing. Now here's a problem with that. If that be so, why did they think they were drunk? Because they were speaking a language and I don't know if you've listened to many drunk people, a lot of the times you don't know what they're saying. You know, <laughs> Isn't that true? And these are looking at them and they're ecstatic and they're like, oh, they're full of new wine. Now listen, verse 14, Peter standing up with the eleven lifted up his voice and said unto them, ye men of Judea and all that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. The third hour of the day is our nine o'clock in the morning. Seeing it is the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by Joel the prophet. Write it down, Joel chapter 2, verses 28, 29. You can read that later. So this is Peter pulling us out, the Lord giving a promise. It's the promise of the Father. Jesus said, Acts chapter 1, wait for the promise of the Father. They have received the baptism of the Spirit, and now they're, they're out speaking. And yes, they heard them in their own language. So what, the way I see this is these people were drunk. Looking drunk, sounding drunk, I should say, in the spirit. And as they spoke, people were able to hear them miraculously in their own language. God gave them an interpreting ear. We're going to look at this a little further just to try and open this up for you. Stay with me. So let's look at this. But this, verse 16, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days. So that's the last days. We're in the last of the last days. Last day, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Notice, ladies, see when it says your daughters. You know what the, you know what the Holy Spirit's saying here? Coming from old covenant law, you meant really virtually nothing in it. Especially when the Jews brought in Talmudism into their teaching from Babylon. You really meant nothing in it. You weren't counted. But Jesus thinks different. And he poured out his spirit on all flesh, your sons and your daughters. So there are many people or places or pastors or preachers or whatever you want to call it. And they think women are just for making tea. Now listen, I appreciate the tea I get. But that's not what women are only for. Use our co-workers with us in the vineyard. And the spirit is poured out on you. It's the same spirit as poured out on me. 
And the Spirit is poured out on me, and I have as the same Spirit is poured out on you. Your sons and your daughters. Listen, I'm not talking outside of Scripture. It's plain to see. Now notice this. And your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Peter is saying, see what you're saying, seeing here. There you're hearing it in your own language. But if they were all given a separate language from another country, they'd all be talking, say, oh, whatever language that may be. Peter wouldn't be able to turn around and say, well, look, they're prophesying. Because he was saying, well, you're speaking, let me use it modern language, you're speaking French and you're Dutch and you're German or whatever. You know, he would be able to say that, but that's not what was happening. He was saying, these people aren't drunk. They're prophesying. They're preaching unto the, the people that Christ has come in the power of the Holy Ghost. This is the promise of the Father in heaven. So can we see it coming together a little now? We're still going to go on to objections. Go with me. Um, to Acts chapter 2 verse 38 we mentioned this Sunday past at the baptismal service so Peter's preaching Acts 2 38 Peter said unto them repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins everyone who's repented of their sins trusting in Christ are saved everyone and then he says and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost that's the promise of the Father. And everyone has a measure of the Holy Ghost. For the promises unto you and to your children and all that are afar off, he's speaking of scattered Israel and then those who would hear. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Okay. Can I ask you, brother, this morning, sister, this morning, are you saved? Now answer in your own heart. Are you saved? Are you blood washed? And then you've went through the waters of baptism and obedience. Well, baptism doesn't save, but we know it's in obedience. Well, then there's a, a measure of the Holy Spirit we have, but there's a baptism to have. Here's another question then to ask you, to answer, ask yourself and answer yourself. Are you called of God? Are you called to the cross? Were you drawn by the Spirit? If you weren't, then you couldn't be saved. You were called through the gospel. So it comes right down through the ages, right till here. As many as the Lord our God shall call. Can we see this? So when you heard the gospel and you came to Christ in salvation, God had called you. God had drawn you. And by the way, it was the Holy Spirit who baptizes, was the same Holy Ghost who spoke to you. Now, if it's the same Holy Ghost who calls you, draws you, and speaks to you to come into salvation, surely the same Holy Ghost can work in you and through you. Oh, he does in sanctification. Well, there you go. We believe that. Surely again then, if you're yielding yourself to him, he can then baptize you that he may speak through you. And people say, and there's people who don't know, and that's fair. I mean, you don't know, but you don't know. People who have an experience that are being taught it, and we understand that. But then there are those who have heard it, read it, studied it, and just totally shut themselves down to it. They don't want to know it. Brothers and sisters, I want all that God has for me. I want everything he has for me for his glory. 
Okay. If you turn with me to Acts chapter 19. I'm trying to do this as systematically at the moment as I can. Look, when you get, maybe into next week we'll do it, because believe it or not, time's flying here. And when you get into next week, you'll look. People may say, but you didn't even touch on 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14. 1 Corinthians 12 mentions what's known as the nine gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about love. The greatest gift of the Spirit, which we spoke of earlier around the table. And, and then 14 goes back to the gifts of the Spirit again. So love's in between those chapters. And it would surprise you how many people or churches from what's known as a cessationist church, which we'll also touch on, are cessationist believers, where things have ceased. They don't even really go around those chapters because, well, they're not worth dealing with. Would you ever pull them out and rip them out of your Bible and roll them up and throw them in the bin? You wouldn't dare, would you? Well, then why not read them? Why not study them? And that is there for a reason. Okay. Acts 19, verse 1. And it came to pass that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the upper coast of Ephesus and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Notice, finding certain disciples. These people were believers. Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they were, they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, Verily, John baptized you with baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is on Jesus Christ. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So here they're baptized in water in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then verse 5 says, And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. That's not another language, as in French or German or Arabic, whatever you want to call it. They prophesied. There was 12 of them. They didn't need all these other languages that we hear of. They prophesied. And all men were about 12. So there was a group of 12 men and they all started to prophesy. Here is the spiritual gift given to these men. Okay, so that's, we all received it at salvation. If we move on from that point, that's the objection. And I've gave the answers. Well, the scriptures show cases that are different. Second objection, the gifts of the Spirit are not for today. That's the big one, isn't it? The gifts of the Spirit are not for today. Okay, who said so? The gifts of the Spirit are not for today. Who said so? My minister. Okay. My pastor. Okay. On what authority did he say it? He said it in scripture, did he? Ask him to show you. Now, listen, I'm not saying this to be offensive to them or anyone else. There's one real main line, a few words, a few words. And it's only about tongues that they take to make the doctrine on. 
Now, if you were to go to any theological conference or university, you'll find that they will tell you that you cannot make a doctrine or formulate a doctrine from one verse of Scripture. But yet they'll take one line out of one verse and formulate the whole lot. I'm going to show you. We are going to touch 1 Corinthians 13 now, if you go. Um, we are going to look at this uh, briefly. There's a lot in it, but we are going to look at it in the week or weeks that lie ahead. I don't want to labor it with you. I don't want to bore you with it. Maybe do a couple of weeks or three and break it up. We do have a missionary coming in a couple of weeks who's going to be preaching. He's from here, but he's in South America as a missionary. He's going to be preaching and telling us what's happening over there and how the Lord's blessing. Um, so except for that, we are, we are going to continue on in this. Now, we see how Paul starts with, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. So Paul can speak languages that men understand and angelic languages, or in other words, a heavenly language. So when we look at this, here we have the gifts of the Spirit. And I'll tell you, okay, 1 Corinthians 13, for time's sake, we'll run down to verse, verse 8. This is the line they'll pick out, okay? Charity never faileth, or love. Charity has become a word in our language now in the 21st century that means a charity shop, you know, you, but that means here that love from the heart, okay? Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Okay, so they use this line, whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Everyone puts the, the gift of tongues up forward because it's a voc such a focal gift in the church. And what they say is, well, there's tongues, they'll cease. So what they're called is cessationists. Someone who does not believe that the gifts of the Spirit are for today are called a cessationist because they believe it ceased. That's where it comes from, okay? But they use this, tongues shall cease. Okay, for one, if tongues shall cease, the idea here is that they're not giving a specific time. Paul is not giving us a specific date. So we have to look at when will they cease? At what point do they cease? At the end of the book of Acts? Because now we're in Corinthian church and the church is growing and they're still speaking in them. In 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 8, notice what it says here below that. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. So then we have to ask ourselves, is the world, is the church without all knowledge now? Because it's the same verse of scripture. It's all in the same context. It's all about the things of the spirit. Will knowledge vanish away? The scripture says it will, and I believe that. But when? But when? That's the, this is the, the crux of the problem. People say, oh, the tongues have ceased. They says, well, then has the vanished ceased? Or has the knowledge vanished? Has it ceased? When 
will this happen? Let's read on, for we know in part, we do prophesy in part, verse 10, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part shall be done away. First of all, Paul is saying, even in these spiritual gifts, and, and people would ask me questions all the time, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't have all the answers. I'm just being honest. I can only tell you what I know, what I've experienced, according to the word. And so here the idea is, for we know in part, we prophesy in part. So Paul says, we don't know everything. And in our scripture, he says, we see through, as it were, through a glass darkly. And then in verse 10, but that when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. So that which we have now will be done away. It will cease. It will vanish. When? When that which is perfect is come. There's your turn. There's your time. He tells us, okay. The word perfect here is a word teleon. Listen to this. This is a, uh, I had taken this from a, a, a list of commentaries from my library. And it's a non-Pentecostal man. Um, he was called the Reverend Leon Morris. And he, the editor of the commentaries was of this, of most of the books of the Bible on, on him, on him and others. And there was a man called RVG Tasker. And he was the, he's the one who edited it all to get his works together. And he's from the Tyndale Press. So now we're looking at Tyndale Press. It's non-Pentecostal. RVG Tasker is the editor. And this Reverend Leon Morris was the one who was the scholar on it. So I'm taking his reading of what it says to get an honest report to you that I'm not biased as a Pentecostal. And so to take away other ministers' bias because of a mindset, we're not doing this. And they want to speak against it. Listen to what he says. That which has the idea of a destined end or aim, it points to God's plan. Listen. When the consummation is reached, all that is impartial that is partial, will be done away. There will be no place for a prophet. We shall stand before God. Prophecies will have no place. Tongues, there will be no reason, no place for ecstatic speech. The painfully acquired knowledge of earthly things Knowledge will vanish away in the light of the immediate presence of God. So when shall they feel, cease, and vanish away? When that which is perfect is come, we stand before God. A non-Pentecostal. Okay. This... I have spoken to many, and I have friends who are cessationists and are Pentecostals as well. And, and the, at the same time, when we talk about this, someone would say, well, you see, I believe in sovereign grace. I'm a sovereign grace believer. Listen, so am I. I believe in sovereign grace. I believe God is sovereign. That's why I believe this gift is sovereignly given, and it's a, grace of, a gift of grace. It's all grace. It's nothing that we can do with it or, or to, to obtain it. Turn with me to Romans 11 and verse 29. 
Do you believe it? I'm going to have to wrap this up soon already. Maybe you've had enough already, but anyway, well, Romans chapter 29, or pardon me, 11 and verse 29. We're just wetting your whistle today, by the way. It's just a little, this is a little starter. We're going to really get into it, God willing, next week. We're going to dissect the gifts. We're going to look at it. We're going to look devotionally at it as well. We're going to look devotionally at our lives. I'm going to tell you about some of my experiences that I've had. I can only tell you my experiences, and you can only know your experiences. Romans 11, verse 29. Listen to what it says. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. The idea here is it's not that we are without repentance, but it means God does not give a gift, then take it away again. It means it's irrevocable. Now the gift here is the charisma or charisma for gifts. That's the word. It's actually the, the word where we get grace from. Grace of God. We're saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works. Lest any of us should boast. The word grace is chorus. It's a divine influence upon the heart. It's reflection in one's life. That's the idea of grace in the, in the Greek uh, rendering. Here we have the, the gift here is charisma. It's a chorus upon the man and woman showing in the life. We have grace for living. We have grace every day for when we fail. We have grace of God. And this is a gift given. It's a grace of God. And it's irrevocable. He gave it to the church. He does not take it away again. Now, we could look at many uh, instances of grace, but let's just uh, look at um, our next point, and I'll maybe bring it some other point along the time. Another objection quickly for the next few minutes. Tongues are off the flesh. Tongues are off the devil. Okay? Okay, right. So here's the answer. Does the Holy Spirit live with the devil in a blood-washed believer? I am of the opinion that Jesus sets the captive free. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. When the Holy Ghost comes in, the devil goes out. And that's for living right too, by the way. So, in John chapter 6, without turning to it, write it down. John chapter 6, Jesus is speaking about eating his flesh, drinking his blood. We, and that's one of the main scriptures that the Roman Catholic Church used for the Mass. But at the end of it all, when people are leaving, he says, we also go away. And Peter says, to whom else will we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. At the end of it all, Jesus says these words. He says, the flesh profiteth nothing. There's no profit in any of our flesh. So if this is off the flesh, and it's someone speaking off the flesh, as people would say, it doesn't do anything. It's a waste. It's not going to kill you either. 
the words I speak unto thee, they are spirit and they are life, he says. So it wasn't even literally body and blood. But listen, let's go on a minute. In Matthew chapter 12, Matthew's Gospel chapter 12. And I really need to try and wrap up. If I can just get this first section done, it means then that we can go into more of a different angle next week. Matthew chapter 12, verse 31. Jesus says, Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be given, forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this word, neither in the word to come. Jesus was saying the Pharisees were attributing the miracles and the works, the evidence of the Holy Spirit that was coming from him to the devil. He casteth out by Beelzebub. This is of the devil, and Jesus said this. Now there's an even further deeper meaning. It's a totally different teaching. But this is what he's saying in a nutshell to them. You're blaspheming the Holy Spirit by attributing the works of God to the works of the devil. And you won't be forgiven in this life nor the next. So we must be careful. And I would say to all those who are out there, who will lambast the things of the Spirit, you must be careful. You must be careful there's no blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. Deuteronomy 18, please. This is for those who maybe feel a little fearful. Do you know there's nothing to fear when the Holy Spirit is in your midst? There's nothing to fear when the Holy Spirit is coming upon you. There's nothing to fear when the Holy Spirit is moving within you. There's nothing to fear when the Holy Spirit is speaking and doing what he wants to do in leading a meeting. In fact, it's the best place to be. Deuteronomy chapter 18, just to try and... Uh, let me even just to show you that there's nothing will hurt you from God. Listen, uh, and before we read here, I was actually in John chapter 3. I think it's verse 37. John the Baptist says, No man can receive anything except that we're given him from heaven. So if you're saying, Lord, I want more of you, he's not going to turn around and say, Well, you're asking for bread, I'm going to give you a stone. A face of scorpion, or, or, and so what? He said, I'm not going to do that. You're my children. I love you. And you're not going to receive anything as my child when you're seeking me and you, you're opening yourself to me. I'm not going to give you anything. You'll receive nothing unless it's from heaven. So we have to look and say, well, Lord, what is from heaven that we must receive that's more? Okay. Deuteronomy 18, just a couple of verses or so. Verse 20. Verse 20. But the prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. I want to tell you something, and it's for all of us who, those of us who, who um, employ and use the gifts of the Spirit. These things are not 
toys to play with. And congregation, it's not something that in the spirit speaking, let's just go for a dander through the church. You can't play with the things of God. This is serious. It's reverence and respect. Verse 21, And if thy, if thy say in thine heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken. It's as simple as that. But the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously. Thou shalt not be afraid of him. Now, interpretation we will look at the gifts is different than prophecy. We can't go into it now. We're closing now. It's different. We're going to look at them as time goes on. They're talking about a prophet prophesying something that the Lord has given them to come to pass. Let me give you, I mean, there's words of knowledge and there's words of wisdom, and they sort of intertwine at bits and pieces, and they're hard to decipher to explain, but we'll try our best at another time. But here, if a prophet says something, then just if it comes to pass, it's off the Lord. And if it's not, then you know it's not. And that prophet has been wrong, or that person who's brought that to you has been wrong. But you're not going to receive any ill will from it. And in, this, in the case of, of tongue and interpretation in the church, when we look at that, it's for the edification of the church. God to call you out because he wants to bring you on in him. He wants to build you up. He saying, if you do this, come on, come. And we'll look at that as well. So that's the objection section at the moment. And next week in the Lord's will, we're going to look at the nine spiritual gifts. So if you would do a bit of homework for me and read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 11 especially. Read it a few times, get it into your spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 to 11. Listen, God bless you. There's so much here. And that's only, that's just, I know people are going, well, what about this? And people say that and people say the other. When that which is perfect has come, all things will cease. What is perfect? We'll look at that a little bit more as well. Christ. (laughs) He's the only one perfect. Christ is perfect. And he hasn't come yet. Christ alone is perfect. So we will, we will look at that. God willing next week.